that wonderful name. Cherish that matchless name. That name is Jesus. Cherish that beautiful name. Cherish that wonderful name. Cherish that matchless name. That name is Jesus. Cherish that beautiful name. Something about that name, Pastor, Savior, Jesus, like a fragrance after. But there's something about that name. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's just something about that name. That's Savior Jesus Like a fragrance After a rain Jesus 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 Let all heaven Bad. 
good name. Master and Savior, Jesus, like a fragrance after the But there's something about that name. Let's sing it one more time. Why don't we stand to our feet? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's just something about that name. Master. Like a fragrance after a rain. Jesus, 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 let all heaven and earth proclaim. But there's something about that name. Oh, I'm so thankful for Jesus. I'm thankful for the fact that I not only know His name, that is the name above every name's, but I have a personal relationship with the bearer of that name. Amen. His name is spoken over my life, and I'm so so tremendously grateful for that amen welcome to wednesday night bible study i always already feel a very sweet presence of the lord in the house and i know he is here with us and he's going to uh, continue to touch us to move upon us to speak to us tonight wednesday night bible study what a wonderful time to gather together and get just a little bit deeper dig just a little deeper in the word of god and and we're continuing our series in the fruit of the spirit we're almost done uh, but uh, we're we're continuing that series in that series tonight and uh, we're looking forward to hearing the word tonight turn with me please to the second epistle of peter second peter if you will chapter one we're going to be reading verses one through four 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Amen. So glad that everyone is here in person that's here. And those of you that are joining us online, welcome. We're glad that you're joining us tonight. I hope that you can be undistracted and really receive tonight what God is going to impart unto his people. Second 
Peter chapter 1, starting at verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant. Notice he says he's a servant first. A servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. That means this, this was written to us too. It was written to everyone who have obtained this like precious faith. And I'm so grateful that I have it. This book is for me. All the words in this book are for me. But it's pretty clear right there that this is for me. He says, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of Jesus, the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. According, verse 3, as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue. So thankful that He's given me everything I need to live a godly life, to be a lively stone to have abundant life that he came to give he's given it all to me everything i need when i got the holy ghost i just have to learn how to allow the holy ghost to be continually active in my life but there's a never-ending supply of whatever we need to live a godly life when we receive the gift of the holy ghost whereby verse 4 are given unto us exceeding great not just great but exceeding great i was studying in this passage of scripture earlier this week and in that that phrase exceeding great it it literally is like saying the greatest it is the highest superlative of the greek word that is translated here as being great it is the highest superlative. So in English, that would be like the greatest. I mean, you know, you hit great, and then you get greater, and then you get the greatest. And maybe this is kind of like the greatest, est, est, est. <laughs> but it's the greatest. It's the highest level of greatness that we can get. We have, they have been, these, we are given exceeding great and precious promises aren't you thankful for the promises of god that are that are so great that we can't even fathom and and they're so precious i hope you 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 value them and and i hope they're precious in your in your sight that by these by what by these things that pertain to life and godliness and by these exceeding great and precious promises we might be partakers of the divine nature partakers of the divine nature we get to be like him we get his DNA woven into ours when we're born again and so we get to take on his nature and his characteristics now I'm not saying that any of us become God so don't don't go think I'm preaching false doctrine and going out there but what I'm saying is I get the very nature of God woven into my spiritual dna when i receive the spirit of god and that means i have a whole lot more than i think i have 
within me. Amen. There's, there's more power than I might think I have. There's more strength than I might think I have. When I think I don't have anything left, he, he uh, allows his strength to, to come up under and, 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 and to, to help me out and give me his. He lends me his strength, Brother Lou. He, he makes up whatever deficit I have because I have his nature. And I'm so grateful and thankful for that. We have... We are partakers of the divine nature, but the word partake implies that I have to actually be partaking. He said he didn't just do it, but by these promises, we have to be partakers. That means I've got to sit at the table with Jesus and I got to let him feed me. Whatever it is that he wants to feed me. I've got to sit with this word. And I've got to converse with this word. And with the author of this word. And, and, and you know because he is his word. Because in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. Whenever you are, uh, are partaking of the word of God. You are partaking of God himself. Whenever, well, whenever you're reading the word of God. You are literally getting the nature of God imparted into your spirit and into your knowledge. You get the knowledge of God through the word of God. And that's why Wednesday nights are so important. It's also why your personal devotions are so important. We get to partake of the divine nature. We have an invitation every single day to partake of the divine nature. I get to sit at the table with Jesus every single day. He prepares a meal for me every single day. But it's up to me to partake of it. And it's also up to me how much I want to partake of it. There's a never-ending supply. The question is, how much do I want to eat? It's an all-you-can-eat buffet, if you will. Never runs dry. Never runs out of anything. It's what you can get. It's all here. But you have to choose what you're going to partake of and how much you're going to partake of. Tonight, let it be our prayer as we open up our Bible study tonight that we will be willing to and eager to eat everything that the Lord wants to feed us tonight. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we're standing in your presence right now. And I feel, Lord, the power of your Spirit right now. And I'm asking, Lord, that as we enter into your presence and into this time together in Bible study that you would literally spread the table before us. And I pray for every one of us that we would be willing to partake of everything that you are going to feed us tonight through your servant, through Sister Marie as she teaches tonight. Lord, we want to eat everything that you have put on the table for us. And we want to eat it in abundance because we need more and more and more of you and less and less and less of us. So let us decrease while you increase through the teaching of your word tonight. We are ready to receive whatever it is that you want to give us tonight. And we give you the glory, the honor, and the praise tonight. Lord, as our praise goes up, receive it as a sweet incense and as a sweet savor. And grace us, Lord, with a very special touch of your presence and your favor tonight in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Would you worship the Lord tonight?
Christ is sweet to trust in Jesus just from sin and self to cease just from Jesus simply taking life and rest and joy and peace Jesus, Jesus how I trust Him how I prove Precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust Him more. I'm so glad I learned to trust Him. Precious Jesus, Savior, friend. And I know that Thou art with me, will be with me to the end. Him. And my mouth 
Let's continue to praise him. I exalt thee. I exalt thee. Oh, oh, oh. 
Let's exalt the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I worship you, Jesus. I exalt you, Jesus. I exalt you, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, let's, uh, let's just press a little bit in worship right now. Hallelujah, Lord Jesus, we exalt you. We exalt you. We exalt you, Jesus. We lift you up. Hallelujah, we lift you up, Jesus. Hallelujah, we magnify your name, Jesus. We magnify your name, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. There's something, there's something about when the people of God get together and begin to exalt the name of Jesus. There's something about the unified voices of the people of God singing praises to our God. I can't explain it. I don't fully understand it. But corporate worship just has a power that is special and unique all on its own. The Bible says that the when brethren dwell together in unity that the anointing flows from the head down and it's beautiful and pleasant when that happens and in that place of unity that's where God commands the blessing brother Jorge if you don't mind help me out put the words of that other song back up there where it says Jesus gives me strength I believe as I worship him says he gives strength to me as I worship him anybody coming here feeling just a little bit weak tonight he gives strength I, I believe as I just felt it so strongly as sister Tryon was singing that song as we were worshiping worshiping together and singing that song I felt it so strongly that that is a declaration in the spirit realm that God is giving strength to the weak right now even in this place as we worship him and as our mouths are filled with praise Hallelujah! I'm gonna let you in on, on a little secret that 
as your pastor, I feel like it doesn't need to be a secret. The, the next lyrics of that song, it says, Jesus breaks the bands. Hallelujah, Jesus. As I raise my hands, he gives glorious victory. Now you see, I just got to follow the leading of the Holy Ghost. I know it's Wednesday night, but if you want to be seated, that's fine. But I'm going to probably ask you to get back up here in a minute anyway. But there's something powerful not only about us singing with our voices together, but when we cooperate and participate in the same motions and actions at the same time. So when a song says Jesus breaks the bands... As I raise my hands, when we get together in unity and we, we fulfill the action of that song, of that, of that declaration that we're declaring when we're singing, God begins to move in a special way. He begins to command the blessing yes. on that unity. I, I, I feel it so strongly right now that, that Sister Tryon, we need to sing that song again. And when we get to that part that Jesus breaks the bands as I raise my hands, I want everybody in the house to just raise your hands and get ready for God to command a blessing of victory and strength and encouragement into your spirit. I don't even understand what heaviness you came in here with, but I can feel the heaviness that some of you walked in here with. And God wants to lift some heaviness and he wants to give you strength where you are weak today so we're going to sing this song again and I want every one of us to when we get to that part to lift our hands together as we've got our voices singing the same thing and watch what God does in our situations the situations that you came in here worried about God's going to bring victory even when you leave here there's going to be a change in those situations because of your worship tonight let's sing Thank you, Jesus. He gives strength. He gives strength to me. As I worship Him. And my mouth is filled with praise. Jesus breaks the bands. Jesus breaks the bands as I raise my hands as I raise my hands come on and raise your hands right now he gives glorious victory let's sing it again he gives strength to me oh, receive the strength of the Lord right now as I worship him We lift our hands as we lift our hands. He gives glorious victory. Oh, one more time, one more time. He gives strength. He gives strength to me. Yes, hallelujah. As I worship Him. Filled with praise. 
don't you why don't you step across the aisle and pray with somebody right now I believe God is gonna use the body to minister to the body right now why don't you look around and find somebody to pray with right now I believe God's gonna give you strength as you pray for somebody else right now hallelujah in the name of Jesus hallelujah 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 come on find somebody to pray with right now to me, such strength as, as I worship Him, and my mouth is filled with praise. Jesus breaks the bands as I raise my hands. clap our hands to the Lord right now hallelujah I worship you Jesus I worship you Jesus hallelujah blessed be your name Lord blessed be your name hallelujah hallelujah praise God praise God we're gonna receive the offering here in just a moment just a couple of quick announcements be no Spanish service tomorrow night because the ladies conference is starting tomorrow night at Grace and Glory in Enfield if uh, any of you ladies haven't registered yet you can still register at the door but um, I encourage you to attend if you can sister Marie's got all the details about that but if you can be there I highly encourage you to be there then Sunday morning we have our uh, regular service at 1030 in the morning Sunday night there will be no Spanish service again because we're having a, a combined church daughter work and mother church uh, family game and fellowship night um, that doesn't mean you have to necessarily be here with your family we'd love it if you could bring your family but if you're single if you're by yourself and you want to come anyway just just come on that's fine we're just gonna 
you know, we're, we're going to have a lot of fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. Amen. On Sunday night, uh, again at 6 p.m. here at the church back in the, in the blue room back there. And then Tuesday night is Cornerstones. Tuesday night at 7 p.m. Anyone who wants to grow more in the Lord, it's a Cornerstones growth class. If you want to know more about the doctrine, if you want to know more about your relationship with the Lord, if you just want to know a little bit more and just need a little more fellowship, we always have good fellowship. It'll be at my my house at on Tuesday night at 7 p.m. Um, if you'd like to bring something, normally I say see my wife, but she's going to be very busy this weekend with ladies conference and everything so if you want to bring something for cornerstones just reach out to me let me know what you're going to bring if you don't have my number see me after service i'll i'll give you my number and uh and we'll go from there you should have it but if you don't i got business cards somewhere i can give it to you and we can go from there we're going to pray we're going to receive the offering and then we're going to dismiss our youth class um tonight um, the offering baskets are here. You can bring your offering. And then the adults are staying here. And Sister Marie is going to come and teach here in just a moment. Jesus, thank you for your touch tonight. You are faithful. And I thank you for being here tonight. For receiving the worship of your people. And for answering by giving us strength and victory in the house tonight. I thank you, Jesus. When we leave this place, we're walking in victory. I pray you bless this offering to the upbuilding of your kingdom, to the advancement of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you come? Would you give unto the Lord tonight? He that the Son is set free is free indeed. you. Thank you for coming to the house of the Lord this evening. Please excuse me as I take a drink of water. Translating. <laughs> um, constantly needing to take some water. Amen. I just thank you, Sister Margarita, for translating tonight. Amen. So grateful for the body of Christ. Amen. And I hope I can switch now. When you're translating, it's sometimes it's hard to, to switch. <laughs> so, amen. It's a beautiful day outside. It went from cold to hot. I don't think we've had really any in-betweens, but I'm, I'm enjoying the weather. Amen. 
Tonight, we are continuing our Bible study on the fruit of the Spirit, and we are in Lesson 9. Um, and this evening, we're going to be speaking on meekness. Amen. We are going, to, again, to speak on meekness. So let's begin with our scripture of study, which is Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. Again, that's Galatians Chapter 5, verses 2 and 23, and the word of the Lord reads, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Amen. I'm just so grateful for his word this evening. We've uh, mentioned from the beginning of the series that the reason we use a pomegranate as a symbol of the fruit of the spirit is because it was the fruit that was used in the robe of the high priest. And we see that in Exodus 28, verses 33 and 34. And that reads, And beneath upon the hem of it thou shalt make pomegranates of blue and of purple and of scarlet round about the hem thereof, and bells of gold between them round about, a golden bell and a pomegranate, a golden bell and a pomegranate upon the hem of the robe round about. Amen. So what a, what a beautiful picture, right? You, they had little golden bells, the high priest, which um, it was whoever was at the time the high priest at, at this particular uh, part of scripture, it was Aaron, and he would be the one that would be wearing the robe of the high priest. And so in the bottom of his robe, there would be a bell, a pomegranate, a bell, a pomegranate. And so when he would go in to the, into the holies of holies, when he would do the job of the high priest, there would be a sweet sound when the bells would hit the I mean, I'm sorry, when the pomegranates would hit the bells. And so that's what it was. Um, and we are not going to get into the colors that were used to make the pomegranate because that's not what the lesson is about this evening. But rather, the pomegranate speaks of the fruit of the Spirit, which we've been talking about, coupled with a golden bell, which signifies the gifts of the Spirit working together. So... When they work together, the pomegranate and the bells speak of a sweet sound and fragrant fruit. What an image. It's just beautiful. God doesn't do anything by accident. God is meticulous about everything, about our creation, the way he created each and every one of us, the environment that we would live in, um, how he wants to be worshipped, the proper way to enter into his presence down to the very detail of what you should wear. And that's scriptural. And it's so beautiful. And he wanted, and we are called royal priesthood, are we not? We are a royal priesthood. Now we are a part of that royal priesthood. And because we are a part of the royal priesthood, we need to be adorned. We need to be clothed with the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. They should be both operational in each and every one of our lives. 
This is not something that's just for the ministers, for the senior pastor, for the bishop, for the pastor's wife, um, or those that are serving, um, the ushers, the greeters, the Sunday school teachers. No, it's for everybody. It's for those that are greeting others here in the church. When you come to worship, every single person that comes into this sanctuary, whether you clean the toilets, where you, wh whether you help put up the waters up, you know, in the, on the pulpit or here in, in the communion table, you help with projection. Um, whatever it is that you do in the body of Christ, when you help out with events, um, whatever it is, you help out in the community. That's part of being the body of Christ. You, you do something. God is calling each individual in this church to be clothed with the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. Amen. So this is what this, this whole series has been about, is that if we are living and, and dwelling in Jesus and he's living and abiding in us, then there needs to be fruit. There, the fruit needs to be evident in our lives. That's how we know that we're abiding in Christ, when we show forth the fruit of the Spirit. If we're not showing the fruit of the Spirit, then we need to start asking ourselves, are we abiding? Now, it takes time for fruit to grow, okay? So don't go beating yourself up if you've been here for a few years, you know, and, and you're still in your beginning stages of your walk with God. Um, we're all growing, amen? We're all growing. We're all, um, even us, the ones that have, <laughs> as I would say, me, myself, you know, been basically grown up in the, uh, underneath the pew, sleeping underneath the pews, um, I'm still growing. I still need to grow and the fruit of the spirit needs to be evident in my life. It needs to be evident so that others, when they come in contact, um, they don't just hear the gifts of the spirit, but they also taste the fruit of the spirit coupled with it. Amen. Let's continue on. So those who come in contact with us should not only hear a sweet sound, but also taste the goodness of God working in our lives. We've already spoken of the first seven parts of the spirit. We know that they're not separate fruit. It's just one fruit, but it's different parts, different segments. And we've already spoken of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, and faith. And now we will be speaking on the eighth part or the eighth segment, which is meekness. Now, the word meekness in Greek means gentleness in mildness, to have mildness of disposition, gentleness of spirit, and of course it means meekness, the equivalent of humility, and that's right there in that, in that Greek definition that, that meekness is the equivalent of humility. When we talk about meekness, you cannot help but look further and deeper into the character of God. After all, the fruit of the Spirit, they're all attributes of God and part of his character. Amen? That's who he is. If this is the fruit of the Spirit, we're talking about the Spirit 
of God. So naturally, it is part of his character, part of his attributes, part of who he is. And the deeper we look, when we look at each segment individually, each part, and we study it and we get to know it. I'm not just saying, oh, study just so that you have head knowledge. But I mean, dig deep into the word of God. When we study it and, and we look into the word and we start reflecting upon the word, we receive a deeper understanding of who he is. And that's what God wants. That's why Paul is sharing this with us, because we need to be exhibiting who God is. Well, who is God? Well, this is who God is. This is his spirit. This is his fruit. This is who he is. And because we have his spirit living inside of us, when we receive that, the gift of the Holy Ghost, we have his spirit dwelling in us. That means that we should be exhibiting the fruit of his spirit. Something that says beyond the, the initial evidence of speaking in tongues that he's living inside of you, that's the initial evidence, but now is he dwelling in you? Is he permanently in your life? Because we can receive the gift of the Holy Ghost and there be an evidence that, he, that we've received it, but then we have to work on it, make sure that we're staying connected with Jesus Christ, that we don't disconnect, that we remain connected to him and that we're abiding in him and that he's abiding in us. So that's, we, we get to know a deeper understanding of who he is. We get to know him on a deeper level, and that's what he wants us to exhibit in our lives. Amen. Apart from him, we can do nothing, and we see that in John 15, verses 4 and 5, that we need to abide in him, and he needs to abide in us, for without him we can do nothing. And when we look deeper into the definition of meekness in the Greek lexicon, and, and that also is the Strong's Concordance, it says meekness toward God is the disposition of spirit in which we accept his dealings with us as good. Anything that God decides, that means that anything that God decides that we go through, it's good for us. <laughs> Meekness. Whatever he decides we go through, it's good for us. And therefore, without disputing or resisting, and that's hard for, for us sometimes, because not everything that comes our way, we want it to stay there. We don't want to go through it. But God is saying if, you know, if I allow it, it's for a reason. It's helping you to be meek like I am meek. And so his dealings with us, as, you know, with us is good and therefore without disputing and resisting. I'm not going to dispute with God. I can ask him to remove it. Paul did. He asked God three times that, that that thorn would be removed. But the Lord said, no, my grace is sufficient for you. That was God saying to Paul, let me teach you some meekness. Let me teach you some humility. Let me teach you how to walk with me through it 
instead of fighting against my will. Sometimes things come in our lives, situations come in our lives, and it's not for us to fight against that. We can ask. There's nothing wrong with asking God to remove it, but when he does it, then that means we need to learn something through that situation. Yes, Pastor Brown. Amen. Amen. Cannot ask the Lord to make what is permanent temporary and what is temporary permanent. Amen. Um, so let's continue with this definition. In the Old Testament, the meek are those wholly relying on God rather than their own strength to defend against injustice. Thus, meekness toward evil people means knowing God is permitting the injuries they inflict, that he is using them to purify his elect and that he will deliver his elect in his time. My goodness, that is a mouthful right there. Gentleness or meekness is the opposite to self-assertiveness and self-interest. It stems from trust in God's goodness and control over the situation. Did you, did you get that? It comes from trust in God's goodness. We need to trust. So meekness comes from me trusting in God. When I have meekness working in my life, it's evident as a, as a fruit, it means that I am trusting in God's goodness. I'm trusting in God handling a situation. I'm trusting God and being control over that situation. I don't have to exert anything. I don't have to go and say or do or react. No, I trust in God. I trust in his goodness and I trust that he's in control. The gentle person is not occupied with self at all. He doesn't even worry. This is a work of the Holy Spirit, not of the human will. We know that this is a work of the Holy Ghost because it's a fruit of the Spirit. If it was a work of the flesh, then we would be able to do it easily but it's not something that comes naturally to us. It's something that comes from the spirit and we have to obtain it. Because of our fallen nature, we naturally want to control, defend, or rectify a situation in which we have been accused of wrongdoing or when our character is in question. But God asks us to allow him to justify us. I've been in situations where, boy, my question, my, my character was in question and I wanted to. I wanted to defend myself so bad and I wanted to make sure that they knew that no, I did not do this. No, I did not say that. And the Lord said, let me defend you. 
let me be your advocate. And he reminded me, and he has had to remind me in many occasions, I didn't open my mouth. When they accused me, I didn't utter a word. And so I said, okay, Jesus. <laughs> and it's not something easy because, again, our nature wants to fight back. Our nature wants to, you know, react or whatever or say, no, I didn't do this. But God is saying, let me, let me do it. And that's what meekness is. Meekness is strength under control, is, is saying, okay, not my strength, but let your strength be what's, what's shown, what people see working in my life. And when we do that, then that's meekness. It's not our strength, it's God's strength. After all, Jesus is, he was meek and lowly of heart. And he's God Almighty, robed in flesh. He had all power. And at any moment, he could have uttered one word and those Pharisees could have been destroyed. He could have silenced all of them. He could have come down from that cross. He could have, he could have done so many things, but God Almighty, who created the universe, who created the stars, all of the planets, who created you and I, said, nope, I'm going to keep that in check. I'm going to be meek. I have all authority. I have all power. But it doesn't mean I have to exert it. I, it means I need to make sure that I, I vet it through the Holy Ghost, that all my emotions, everything that I do is vetted through the Holy Ghost. That's meekness. All right. So, again, because of our fallen nature, we just want to do these things, but we need to make sure that we hide our strength in him and choose his meekness every time. So, does having meekness or being meek mean that you're a pushover? Not at all. It doesn't mean that one bit. Numbers 12, verse 3. Let's go into that. Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. Now that is huge. <laughs> That's not a little statement. <laughs> That's a big statement. Now that man, now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. That's pretty, there's a lot of men around that time. And you're telling me that he was the meekest man in the face of the earth? And when we look at the life of Moses, we know that he was a mighty man. He was not a pushover. He was not somebody that was weak, but yet he was very meek. Let's look in the book of Acts in chapter 7. Now this is Stephen who's preaching, and these are uh, the words that the Stephen is speaking. He says here in Acts chapter 7, starting in verse 22, And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and was mighty in words and in deeds. He was a prince of Egypt. Okay, verse 23, and when he was full, 40 years old, 
it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. I don't know how to take that. It says when he was full 40 years old. What is that supposed to mean? I'm now full 40. <laughs> I didn't know how to take that, but here we go. <laughs> I still feel like a little kid sometimes. Anyway, verse 24. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended him and avenged him that was oppressed and smote the Egyptian. For he supposed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them, but they understood not. And the next day he showed himself unto them as they strove and would have set them at one again, saying, Sirs, ye are brethren. Why do ye wrong one to another? But he that did his neighbor wrong thrust him away, saying, who made thee a ruler and a judge over us? Will thou kill me? Has thou didst the Egyptian yesterday? So this shows that Moses was real, that Moses had feelings. Moses was a strong man. He was a man of strong character. He was not a pushover. And when he could, he did exact his judgment, that wasn't God's judgment, was it? That was his own. He saw something wrong, and he saw that another man was being uh, treated badly, and so he went and took matters into his own hands and killed the Egyptian. And he thought, oh, nobody saw me. Or maybe he did. Maybe he did. They, the, the Jews did see and he thought, well, maybe now they're going to think I can deliver them because of what I did. They're going to see me as their leader. And instead, it was like, who do you think you are? You're going to kill me now? You went and took matters into your own hands? So now that we're just having a disagreement between us, is that what you're going to do to us too? So we definitely see here in the book of Acts the kind of man that Moses was. He was a prince. He was a leader. He was a man of war who helped fight other empires when he, um, when he considered himself an Egyptian prince. But this same man, later, when he ran for his life, when he ended up in a desert, in the backside of the desert, this same man, Moses, learned how to be hidden, how to be humble, how to pastor a nation, not by his own might, because he learned real quick, <laughs> I can't do it in my own strength. This is not something that I can attain through human uh, efforts. Meekness is not something that, or even strength that I can, uh, or power and all of this, I can do this on my own to lead a nation, especially God's nation, but he had to be hidden. He had to humble himself, and he had to, do it through the power of God. Meekness, like we mentioned before, is power under control. In Hebrew, meekness is choosing to be afflicted or miserable <laughs> with the added notion of a lowly, pious, and modest, and modest, sorry, modest mind, which prefers to bear injuries rather than return them. That is what meekness is in the Hebrew. It means I'm going to choose to be afflicted. 
I'm going to choose to be miserable. <laughs> I'm laughing because, you know, that's not what we want. That's not what we want. We don't want to suffer. We don't want to be afflicted. We don't want to be miserable. And this notion of a lowly, pious, and modest mind, that's not what we want. We want to move ahead. We've been taught, go get it. You can, you can do anything and be in the top and there's nothing too hard for you and all of these different things. But it's telling us that and there's nothing wrong with wanting success, but at the same time, we need to look after that which God wants us to look after. His meekness, where I'm not just pushing on somebody else to get to the top, where I'm trying to climb this ladder and who cares who's in my way. No, I need to make sure that I stay in that frame of mind of, of having the mind of Jesus. Yes, Pastor Brown. And I forgot to add that scripture, and I wanted to, and I forgot to, to put that scripture in there. But you're right. The definition that is given, it is in the, in the book of Hebrews, in, I believe in the, 11 chap, in the 11th chapter, the, the Hall of Faith. Um, the writer of Hebrews talks about it, that he chose the affliction <laughs> um, rather than, than the pleasures, rather than those momentary pleasures, rather than to be called the son of the daughter of, of Pharaoh, he chose to be afflicted. And the, the writer of Hebrew gave us that definition, but that's exactly what it means, to be afflicted. Psalm 9, verses 13 and 14, it says, Have mercy upon me, O Lord. Consider my trouble which I suffer of them that hate me. And this is David that is speaking. Thou that liftest me up from the gates of death, that I may show forth all thy praise in the gates of the daughter of Zion. I will rejoice in thy salvation. So, again, this is David that is writing, that, that he's writing these words. Have mercy upon me, Lord. Consider my trouble which I suffer of them that hate me, that thou liftest me up from the gates of death. When we are in trouble due to circumstances of life, due to people, whether good or bad, we see David's response. And what is his response? Number one, he looks to God. And he asks God to show mercy unto him. He's being afflicted, and he, instead of going sideways, right? Going to the side or taking anger or taking vengeance or trying to rectify things himself, trying to do things himself. He looks to God and he says, have mercy on me, O oh Lord. Consider my trouble, 
which I suffer. So what is he saying? Number two, he asks God to look upon the trouble that he is experiencing. There is nothing wrong with telling God how you feel. There is nothing wrong with telling God where you are. David, prime example. How many Psalms has he written of lamentation, of crying out to God, where he was in a cave, where he was in a pit, where, you know, he says, I feel like I've been swallowed up by Sheol, by, by hell. I, I feel like I'm there, but you're there with me. It doesn't matter where I try to go. doesn't matter how low I get. You're there with me. So there's nothing wrong with telling God how you truly feel. When we're experiencing things in our lives, we need to tell God. That's how we give him, um, you know, our burdens. We're casting everything on him. Because, again, our natural tendency, because of this, this fallen state that we are in, we want to do things ourselves. We want to find a solution ourselves. But we can't just find a solution ourselves. The solution is in God. The solution is in him. So I cast my care. I cast it to him. And number three, he asked God for deliverance. We see that. We see that here. He says, thou that liftest me up from the gates of hell, consider my trouble which I suffer of them that hate me. Thou that liftest me up from the gates of death, that I may show forth all thy praise in the gates of the daughter of Zion. I will rejoice in thy salvation. And number four, he wants deliverance to show forth God's praise in the gates and rejoice in God's salvation. Many times we want deliverance. We, we mentioned this a little bit earlier. We want deliverance from trouble by God removing us from the situation. But many times, God allows trouble to come our way to teach us to give him our trials, to give him our circumstances so that we may show forth his salvation. Well, what do you mean, Sister Brown? Well, he let me go through it so that he could save me from my own attitude. He let me go through it so that he could save me from self-destructing. He, he let me go through it so that he would show forth his salvation in my life. Meaning, didn't I save you? Now show that I saved you. If I saved you, now let's act like we're saved. <laughs> he proves us sometimes. He tests us sometimes. Okay, you say you're saved. Now let's just test that to see if you are saved. Can you go through a little trouble so that others can see you are saved? It's not easy, but we boast, oh, God saved me. He took me out from this pit and he saved me. And um, I used to be an alcoholic. I used to be a drug addict. I used to do all these different things. I lied. I stole. Well, Good, he delivered you from that, but now let's see how saved you are. How much of Jesus do you have inside of you? So he allows us to go through situations, not to harm us, but 
Am I working in you? Is my meekness working in you? That means, again, meekness means strength under control. Are you going to allow me to be in control of the situation or are you going to take over? So, you know, I could blow up. I could shout. I could act out. Um, I could hit someone or whatever the case may be. But as I give him my troubles, through my express cry to him, when I say, Lord, I, I cry out to him in prayer, this is where I'm at. This is what I'm going through. Please take me out of here. I don't want to go through this. But if you choose for me to go through it anyway, and you don't choose to deliver me out of it, then deliver me through it. Deliver me through the situation. Help me to have meekness, strength under control, so that I could face the trouble. Amen. So this is not an easy task to do. It's not something that we learn overnight um, or that we can do on our own. Being meek can only be accomplished through an abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. We talked about it, John 15, 4 and 5. So your doing for God is not going to get you into a place of being with God. Let me repeat that again. Your doing for God is not going to get you into a place of being with God. <laughs> That's not an easy statement to receive because it's easy for each and every one of us to do things for God and think we're being with God. We're in an abiding relationship with God because we're doing for him. But we do because we are abiding in him, because we have a relationship with him. But if we're doing to get to, to a place where he's going to accept us, then we've got it all wrong. We have to be in relationship with God first. We have to be in relationship with God first so that when we do for him, our being with him is just going to flow when we do stuff for him, for his kingdom. Otherwise, we're going to resent God, and it's not going to flow from the right place. It's, it's going to be, oh, I'm going to try to get saved through my works. No, it's by my works that I'm showing that I am saved, that I have a relationship with God. Sister Trine? Peace versus please. Come on. That's a sermon title right there. <laughs> I'm fired up right now. I could preach a whole message on that. A peace versus please. <laughs> Amen. It's so good. It's so good. We we want to please God. Sister Vilma, did you have your hand up? Tiene ya su mano puesta arriba, mana Vilma? Okay, perdón. You know, we we want to please God. We need to be in relationship with God. Jesus could do the things that he did because he was in constant relationship with the Father. Let's go through these scriptures quickly. John 6, 38. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. 
John 5, 19. Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing for himself, but what he seeth the Father do. For what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. What is Jesus talking about? I am just following my Father's orders. I'm just doing what he does. Right. It's abiding relationship. John 5.30, I can of mine own self do nothing. This is Jesus talking. I can of mine own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of the Father which hath sent me. So in all of these verses, Jesus is speaking of an abiding relationship with the Father. Jesus did not do what he wanted in his flesh. We, we must remember that Jesus was God dwelling among us in flesh and blood. Jesus needed to submit his passions, his earthly desires, and fleshly will, his, his will, to the Spirit, to the Father. In every thought, every action, every word had to be vetted through the Spirit. Everything that Jesus did, he did it because the Father told him to do so. Do we understand that? That relationship. Jesus, Jesus was human, just like we were, 100% human, and he was 100% God. But he had to submit that will, that earthly, that fleshly will, to the Father. So I'm not, he wasn't speaking on his own terms. He's saying, I'm doing everything the Father is telling me to do. Everything I'm speaking, everything I'm thinking, I'm just letting it be vetted through the Spirit. And that's what we have to do as well. We cannot do anything outside of God. If we are in the Spirit, then we also have to walk in the Spirit. And we see that in Galatians 5.25. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Galatians 3.3, in the Christian Standard Bible, it says, Are you so foolish? After beginning by the Spirit, are you now finishing by the flesh? Okay, so you got the Holy Ghost. You, were, you repented of your sins. You got the Holy Ghost. You were baptized in Jesus' name. You started out right. You started doing things right. You started walking right. But now all of a sudden you think you can finish this walk in the flesh? No, we can't finish this walk in the flesh. We must intentionally maintain our spiritual connection with God every moment of the day. We must avoid distractions and things that will disconnect our flow from God. And no, this is not being super spiritual. You removing distractions so that you can draw closer to God is not being super spiritual. It's called walking in the spirit and not fulfilling the lust of the flesh. That's what it's called. When you allow distractions to come in your path, then you're in your flesh. It's more easy for you to get in your flesh, to think in your flesh, to act in your flesh, to do all these things in the flesh. But we mentioned it again at the beginning. We are naturally inclined towards the works of the flesh because of this fallen nature. So therefore, I must do my part to maintain a divine connection with my Heavenly Father every day. Uh, Pastor Brown had, had opened the, the service today with 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. We get to partake of his divine nature. 
but I have to put every effort, of everything in my part to make sure that I'm connected to that divine nature. He's given it to me. He's made, made, made it accessible for me, but I have to do everything within my power to access that. It's not just going to come naturally. He fills us. It's easy at first, but then he's like, listen, this is a two-way relationship. Give and take here. I'm not just going to continue to give you freely if you're not going to be a good steward of my spirit. So if we want to be good stewards of his spirit and we want God to trust us with more in his kingdom, let's do everything within our power to reach after him, to seek his face with everything that is within us and remove the distractions. Yes, Pastor Brown. Amen. Amen. Um, so how do we stay connected with the Lord? How do we remove those distractions and maintain a divine connection with our Heavenly Father every single day? That means sitting with him in prayer. That means reading the word daily and letting the word examine our hearts. Let uh, and I meant, and this, there's a typo here. Let it work. Let it work in me as I read it. And let the word give me my directives for, for the day, okay? Not my directives, but his directives for, my, for the day. And I did put my day, but it's not my day. It's his day. The scripture says this is the day that the Lord has, has made, right? Hath made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. It's his day. It's not my day. He allowed me to have breath this day, but it's not my day. It's his day. So I need to make sure that I'm connecting with him in the morning, and then I'm asking him, this is your day, Jesus. What do you want me to do with your day that you've given me? What, what are the directives today? I, I read. I read the word of God. It's feeding me. I'm receiving. I'm letting it penetrate me. It's Okay, wow, I didn't, ever, I didn't see that in scripture before. I need to make sure that I, I eat that all day long and that I let that be my directive. But what else? What else do you want me to do? Let it and the Spirit of God show me or show us what we must focus on, and then we need to do it. When we do our part in remain, remaining connected to the vine, then Jesus Christ, that is, I mean, connected to the vine, who's Jesus Christ, he does his part in imparting unto us his fruit. 
This is why Moses was considered the meekest man upon the face of the earth before Jesus came, because he was connected to the source of life daily. Moses made sure that he was connecting with God every single day. He had to lead his people, and he wasn't going to do that on his own, in his own strength. How do you lead a whole nation? You, you better get some guidance, because if, if he tried to do it himself, he was going to mess things up again, and he was not going to do that. So consider your phone. Consider your phone. Unless it's connected to the charger, what's going to happen? It's going to die. I mean, essentially, your phone or your electronic device is dying. <laughs> Even right now, because it's on, you may not be, you may be using it, you may not be using it, but it's on. So it's actively dying because it's not connected to the source, its source of energy. And the only way to keep going, to keep it alive, is to continue to reconnect to its source of power. It was funny, my computer, I was you know, typing notes for tonight, and I connected the charger to the outlet, but I never connected the charger to my computer, and the light kept on getting dimmer. I'm like, what is happening? And I look, I'm like, oh, I connected it to the, to the wall, but I didn't connect it to the computer. <laughs> well, it was about to die. We have to make sure that we are connected with God. We can never exhaust the amount of time that we spend connecting with God. Why? Because he's eternal. We can never exhaust all there is to know about God. We cannot exhaust God because he's eternal and he's the source of all things. Therefore, we need to remain connected to, to God to obtain his meekness. Psalm 25, 9 and 10, the meek will he guide in judgment and the meek will he teach his way. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth unto such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. Wow. If we just stay in that place where we're submitted to him, he's going to guide us in his judgments. And his judgments are not bad when we're doing the will of God, when we're obeying him. He teaches us his way. Sephaniah 2.3, Seek ye the Lord, all ye meek of the earth, which have wrought his judgment. See, the meek of the earth bring God's judgment. And that's not a bad thing. Okay, seek righteousness, seek meekness. It may be ye shall be hid in the day of the Lord's anger. When I'm meek, when I'm, I give over my control to God, I am hidden in Christ, it, well, it's gonna, it may be that I may be hid in the day of the Lord's anger. So when we seek to be meek, we seek humility. And how do we obtain humility? James 4, 6 through 10. But he giveth more grace. Wherefore, he saith, God resisteth the proud, but he giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. If you notice that the devil doesn't seem to um, leave you alone, that 
that he's always attacking, always talking to you, maybe we need to check our level of submission to God. If he's always speaking and he's always attacking, let's see if we're resisting the devil by submitting ourselves to God. So it says submit yourself to God, then resist the devil, and he's going to flee. When we submit to God, he's going to flee. Okay? Um, one night, and I'll be really quick because we're, we're done with time, but one night, I think it was either last year or the year before, we were already in bed sleeping in the middle of the night, woke up feeling a presence in our room over our bed that was not of God. <laughs> and I felt anxiety. I felt... Um, a little bit of panic, and I immediately began to pray in my mind, and I began to ask the Lord for clarity. And as I was praying in my mind, and I'm laying in bed, the Lord impressed upon my, my spirit that there was a spirit there that was trying to see if I was submitted to God. And you know what I did? I began to repent immediately. I began to repent, and I said, Lord, I submit to you. I submit to your will. I submit to your name, to your word. Um, and the moment I started doing that and I started repenting, Lord, I repent. If, if there's any iniquity in my heart, any sin in my heart, forgive me. I am submitted to you. The moment I did that, that thing, whatever that was that was there, that spirit left immediately was literally trying to see if I was submitted. What do we do? We humble ourselves. We humble ourselves before God. How do we humble ourselves? We repent. We get back. We never get exempt from repentance. We repent every single day. Every single day. Whether you think you did something wrong or not, we repent. Whether you said you didn't say, we don't know what we've done. Maybe God told you to do something and you forgot to do it. Guess what? That's iniquity. That's not doing the will of God. You didn't mean to, but you sinned, so Lord, forgive me. There's nothing wrong with that. We need to. That's part of the tabernacle plan. That's part of our walk with God. We need to make sure that we're constantly repenting because that says, okay, you're putting yourself in that place of submission where you say, you know what? It's not me. It's you. You take over, Jesus. So verse 8, draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your, heart, your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Humility is key in receiving meekness from God. And Jesus teaches us this in Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30, and it's, Come unto me, all ye that labor, and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. In that word, I am meek and lowly of heart, that is a deriv derivative of the Hebrew word for meekness. Le literally. 
for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So Jesus is speaking of surrendering our labor, our laboring, our working and toil that he may give us rest. And when he gives us rest from our working and our labor, he gives us what he chooses for us to handle for that day. Many times we take on a lot of things that we should not be handling. And we feel the heaviness. We feel the overwhelming, you know, the, the, that overwhelming uh, presence or not presence, but that burden, what we were feeling earlier today during worship. Some of us came in here with some heavy burdens. And God is saying, Did, do you really need to be carrying that? Just give it over to me and I'll tell you what to carry. I'll tell you what to carry. That's, he's saying, learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart. What is Jesus saying? I'm just surrendering control. I'm surrendering control to the Father so that he can be glorified and he can show me what I need to be able to do today, what I need to carry for today. Amen. 1 Peter 3, 4, but let it be the hidden men of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God a great price. And this is talking to women, Peter talking to women, but that word, that phrase, the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, is the same phrase, the same word that Jesus spoke when he said, for I am meek and lowly of heart. Again, speaking to us that, I am submitted to the Father, so ladies, let's put on that meek and, and quiet spirit, that ornament of a meek and quiet spirit where we say, Lord, not my will, your will be done. Because Jesus was submitted to the Father, then we need to submit ourselves to him and to our heads as well. If there's so much with the word meekness, you can't exhaust everything that there is to exalt, uh, exhaust in this, the word meekness. Let's all stand. Matthew 5, 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And Psalm 149, 4, for the Lord taketh pleasure in his people. He will beautify the meek with salvation. How beautiful. He is going to beautify the meek with salvation. When we humble ourselves, when we surrender control, our will to him, and we say, you you be strong, Jesus, because I don't need to be. Let your strength be shown, then he gives us salvation. He's the one who defends us. He's the one who takes up our, our cause. Let's pray in dismissal. Thank you, Jesus, Lord, for being the perfect example, oh God, of what meekness is. I thank you, Lord God, that you want us to exhibit this part of the fruit of the Spirit, Lord God. Help us, Lord God, to continue to reach more to you, to, to be everything that you want us to be, Lord. Help us, O oh God, to continue to grow in wisdom and in understanding of your word, Lord. Help us not to just stop growing at a certain level, but at every stage in our walk with God to continue to dig deeper, O oh God, so that we can be more like you, dear Jesus. I thank you for each and every person that is here tonight, that your blessings will be upon each and every one of them. And Lord, bring us back at the appointed time. Thank you for your blessings. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed in Jesus' name.